bad has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Um, today we have um, uh, one of the coaches at Foothill High School in California, also the author of The Toss, uh, which was originally published in 97, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, and, uh, Coach uh, Jerry Balotone. Uh, Coach, how are you doing? Good, good. Um, Coach, for people who, who may not have had a chance to read your book, I mean, or have seen your book and all that stuff will be in the show notes um, posted with this. Um, kind of, can you brief, uh, briefly or longly, kind of whatever you want to do, uh, kind of go over your background before we get to your book. Sure. Um, real quick, I just uh, grew up in the Bay Area, Santa Clara, California, uh, Silicon Valley before it was Silicon. Um, this is a great place to grow up, believe it or not. Um, played football there. Uh, had a great coach, uh, great mentor. Uh, all those guys came out of San Jose State and they rubbed elbows with Bill Walsh and and uh, anyways, a lot, lot of, lot of uh, friends in that area. And then I uh, went to Azusa Pacific, which is a tiny little uh, liberal arts Christian college in uh, LA, Smogville, um, and played small time football, NAI. Uh, enjoyed that, got a degree, uh, got a de teaching degree and a degree in English. And then uh, while I was still in college, I coached wrestling for three years at San Dimas High School. That's where Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was filmed. Anyway, <laughs> side note. Um, and then I got a job kind of in Eastern LA, like the Barrio, and uh, got, got, uh, got my feet wet, student taught, coached for three years more after I got hired, coach wrestling, coach football, and uh, yeah, like I said, just learn learn the business a little bit, learn how to fail and not do things for a while. And then uh, I wanted <clears throat> I wanted the heck out of L.A. and I didn't want to go back to the Bay Area, so I put my resume out all over California, and I got three interviews. And out of those three interviews, I got one job, and I got uh, hired at Central Valley High School right up next to Shasta Dam, and. Um, it says in their yearbook, wait till next year. And that was in 1954. I should have read that because uh, I quickly set a, set a straight record for losing. We went 0-30. Uh, that was the, probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. But I was young. I was willing. I was energetic. I made mistakes. <clears throat> I didn't repeat them. I just made a thousand, <laughs> a thousand extra ones. Um, we didn't have much talent, but I learned a lot. Um, and then I, I coached at a junior college, another friend from Azusa came up and I coached linebackers there at Shasta College. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, another friend of mine, again, we, Azusa Pacific was famous for uh, putting out teachers and coaches. So another friend moved to Promised Land up here north and got the job at Foothill High School, which is a brand new school. And so he needed an assistant and I said, 
I'll do it. And I got hired there as an English teacher and a coach. And we, again, uh, we had no seniors. It was a brand new school, so we had to play a varsity schedule. So we quickly went 0 and 10. Um, and that was rough. We were ahead by halftime, uh, five out of the 10 games, but didn't win a game. And then uh, same kids, same offense, same schedule, one year later to the day, after a year in the weight room and learning the double wing offense and all that stuff, we went 10 and 0 versus the same teams. And we set a national scoring record for a 10 game season, most, most points per game in 10 games. I believe it was, I wanna say between 54 and 58 points a game. I have it in my book, I should have looked it up. But anyway, we didn't make too many friends. You know, the first year we're 0 and 10, we're everybody's <laughs> friends. And then uh, everybody hated our guts the second year. And I asked the kids what they liked better and they wanted to be hated. So uh, we, we had a good time, scored like crazy. Um, went deep into the playoffs with a brand new school, mind you. It was only their second year of varsity. We were in the semis. And the crazy thing is we lost the game eight to nine after scoring, after scoring over 50 points per game. And that was tragic. We were just, oh man, that was terrible. Anyway, from there... We had a great run. Um, we, we usually had either 10, nine or eight game winning seasons. Uh, we went 10 and 0 a couple of times, then nine and one, eight and two. Continue to score a lot. Um, my book came out in 97 and I immediately made every defensive coordinator a freaking genius because they read my book. It was like handing a, handing a giant scouting report to everybody and we were already so arrogant. We said, we don't care. You can, you can have, our, have our plan. We're still going to run you over, which we did for the most part. But I think I advanced their learning uh, overnight. You know, that's one of, one of the few regrets I have from publishing a book. I didn't do my head coach and offensive coordinator and best friend any favors. <laughs> so anyway, but one story real quick, uh, how we got the offense. Phil Bravo, again, another Azusa Pacific football grad, was coaching in LA Whittier and he says you got to get up to go see Markham he's in your neighborhood he's in southern Oregon go go see the guru so it's like going to the Himalayas you know so we found this old football coach on the top of a mountain and uh, we stayed in his cabin and he just like Markham's known for his generosity pulls out the yellow pad and he starts mumbling and scribbling and he just he just gave us the keys to the world and uh, he showed us film, he showed us weight room, he talked philosophy, and we just, we bought in hook, line, and sinker. We slept on his floor, came back as happy as clams, and he changed our lives. It was awesome. And anyway, uh, coach uh, with that group about, I want to say, I think it was 11 or 12 years. Yeah, like, like your book mentions, I mean, because as I said, I'm rereading it. I have the hardback cover. I mean, you just republished the um paperback cover I mean you obviously call it the, the offense the toss in your book and it's now better known as the double double wing as most coaches across the country call it can, well can double I, wing is is the offense and then the the key play yeah you, you refer to the key play yeah. you know like like you refer to options so I call it toss I think Markham call it power uh no he call it pitch other guys call it power whatever yeah. In, in the Midwest, a lot of coaches call it superpower because you're pulling two instead of one. That's that's how I learned it. I learned that the toss name is superpower. Was even power, superpower. 
Um, but kind of like, kind of like, I mean, my first question regarding the book is what, I mean, obviously you mentioned some arrogance there, but what was kind of the motivating factor to write it, um, for coaches? Um, it didn't start out that way. I, uh, back in the old days, in order to get the bump on the salary, you had to take extra units over a period of time. And so I was looking for a way that I could still be fascinated by classes that I wanted to take. So I contacted Humboldt State, a university on the coast up here in Northern California. I contacted their PE department. I said, hey, if I wrote a, a, a manual for my, for my coaches, all levels, could I get PE credit? And they said, sure. So I wrote a manual, just basically go, it was like the starter kit on the toss. And I published, well, I didn't publish it. I handed it out. And I got credits. The next summer, I wrote part two and handed that out to our staff and anybody else who wanted it and got credits for that and got my bump in salary. And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to be published being an English major. You know, I used to send things in. My goal was to get a whole wall plastered with rejection slips. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew that I was ready. I was bound and determined to wait that long. So I said, I here's a chance to get another rejection slip. Let's do it. So I threw them in an envelope and I sent it to Prentice Hall. And uh, the gal called me and says, we're interested. I told, I told her, I said, you're kidding. She goes, no, I'm not. And I thought, well, doggone, that's easy. I'm done. They go, no, 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 you don't understand. It's just started. And it took me like a whole other year of yeah. rewriting and collecting and anyway, and then I got it published. Now, now with that, I mean, what, what, and I mean, we talked a little bit before on the phone and before we started this, like, I mean, the offense ha and your book mentions it too. Like schools historically that have run this offense have either success or at minimum improve off what they've had. Like, let, let, I'll just phrase it that way. Like, and, and I, and I've talked before, I mean, um, when I was at Marion Elgin, I mean, we ran it, we rushed for 4,900 yards and we went from 0 and 10 to 7 and 3. Um, we had a lot of success. We, I mean, we physically couldn't throw the ball, but that was not because of the offense. That's because, I mean, we had a kid who'd never played quarterback before trying to pl play quarterback. So um, kind of, I mean, why do you think it is successful? Because you see it in foreign countries be successful, Midwest. I mean, obviously the um, the offshoot gun version has success too, but there's teams in Michigan that still run the under center version. Locally here in Ohio, they run it. I mean, we've talked about there. Why do you think this offense is, is can, can be as successful as it is? I, I, I mentioned the merits in the book and, and just talk about it's just physics. It's more, you know, it's overload at the point of attack. And you think, oh, that's just caveman football. But then you have the element of surprise. You have the play action off of it after the defense sucks up. You have... Uh, the, the sweep popping outside after they narrow to stop the inside. You have the counter uh, once they overload or over over pursue one side. That's the beauty of it. I always equate it to boxing. You know, if you've got a good left hand, left hook, jab, you're going to throw all of those. But if your right hand's your mainstay, you're going to throw you're going to throw right hands, you know, Rocky Marciano, you're going to throw right hands. You're going to punch arms until the arms fall off and get to the head later. And then you're going to throw a hook and a jab and an uppercut. You know, it's all varied. Uh, we like to sell the, the, you know, the people on, oh, we're just cavemen. This is all we know. You know, we, <laughs> eat, we, we eat food with our hands and 
we don't pass, but we threw for 1500 yards one time, you know, we had like two backs go over a thousand. Uh, you know, we set scoring records. Um, we pop outside. We, we, um, have misdirection and all that. It's not just sledgehammer, but the sledgehammer, much like, you know, the old Texas option, you got to run the dive for the pitch or the quarterback to, to, to work. So we, we feel like we're going to run the toss, whether we get an inch or a yard, we're going to run it a lot. And we're going to make you react to it. Every action, there's a reaction. So your defense is either going to get run over or very tired or very beat up, or they're going to stop us. Either way, we're okay with that. And then once we do that and set that tone, everything else works off it. Now, the bigger your guys, the stronger your guys, the faster your wingbacks, life is good. Speed makes great coaches. And so that... That's kind of philosophy. I think what it becomes is co the coaches that are humble enough or they go to a humble place that's been 0 for, you know, 2 and 8, 1 and 9, 0 for what? Or, you know, they call it the Pop Warner offense. Little kids, their parents are gonna, aren't going to fire you. Um, or you go to an, another country where they don't know their butt from the hole in the ground. They don't know, you know, they want to, everybody wants to be a lookalike. Those, those like that's what Markham did. He either got fired or purposely moved on every every one to three years, and so you know, and he didn't care. He was independently um, wealthy enough that he could do that, and he didn't care. I mean, he was just okay. I'll take I'll take my my shows somewhere else, and did and helped a lot of you know bottomed out teams be successful. Um, if you want to be NFL, go to the NFL. If you want your high school to What's it called? RPO. We call that run people over, but you know, a run pass option, you know, and you don't have a quarterback, you're an idiot, you know, and you don't have receivers or you're in, you know, Dakota and it's four inches of snow. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody plays indoors on grass or outdoors on grass anymore, but I'm a dinosaur. Anyway, I, I, I I'm rambling, but you get what you're I good. mean. You're good coach. Now, cause I mean, like I said, I, I, I always, like to see different people's perspectives on why it's successful. My old head coach called it a fist fight in a phone booth is how he described the offense. And oh, that's, I love, I'll steal that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he would always talk about it. Is it just, I mean, you're getting in a fist fight in a phone booth. And um, so, I mean, kind of, I mean, you've mentioned that, you, I mean, you still clinic, um, you still go help schools that want to run it. Obviously your book is, I'm, I'm rereading it for the second time um, now. Um, it, it's got a lot of great details. I have a buddy of mine who, who uh, head coach, they hired runs a shotgun version, but he's having his assistants read the book as well um, as a resource. But when you go talk to schools or help schools, um, when do you, let me rephrase this, what details do you think they miss that needs corrected or that maybe they just don't touch on? Because I mean, obviously you can read a book but you really don't know the issues or some of the details until you actually practice it and you implement it and you kind of figure out, okay, what works for your kids or your league or so forth. I mean, what, in, in your opinion, what kind do coaches kind of miss or ask the most questions about? Details and repetition. I don't think, I think that's a lost art. Um, I'm trying to look up a Belichick quote. I just, Oh, here it is. Bel this is what Belichick said. He said, uh, uh, the, the less versatile you are, the better you have to be at what you do well. Mm -hmm. So I just, Markham came out one time in the, in the spring and we had a, a kind of a seven on seven practice with him. It was the 
first time I got to saw him, see him coach live. And uh, it was an eye opener. I mean, he gets down on his, on his haunches and gets at all angles backwards in front of him on the side of him. And he's just picking, he's just picking like, no, no, do it again, do it again, do it again. And it was awesome to tell. And, and the more I interview guys that played for him or coach with him, they said, yeah, that was it. We would spend, we would spend two hours just running against air. You know, like we call it, uh, you know, perfect play. And we would go up and down the, the, uh, the football field in 10 yard increments. And we would pick out things they did wrong, pulled wrong, counts wrong, stances wrong. Or then we'd hit bags and then we'd go semi-live. And anyway, you just can't, you're, it's inexcusable when you can put your whole offense on a napkin that you're not great at every aspect yeah. of those five plays. And I, and I, I think people have lost that art. It's again, no offense to wing T, but wing T is let's run another play. Let's, let's, you know, let's hit them with this and then hit them with this in, in Tossville in double wing. It's like, let's run the same play until they replace the defensive end twice, <laughs> but let's run him over. And then when we get tired, we'll run to the other side. I mean, I, I exaggerate, obviously, but I mean, that's the beauty. I mean, I like to watch our guy. I, I have some clips, by the way, on, I have an Instagram double wing football, throw that out. Okay. And then I also have a Facebook group, uh, Facebook group, smash mouth alumni. And on there, I got a lot of slow motion, you know, little, little, little clips. And man, I, that, to me, that's hypnotizing, especially with music. When you see I love your podcast name, by the way. When you see the double teams just wash the entire defensive line, we call it OTF off the film. We used to give t-shirts for, oh, you OTF them. I mean, just like the Red Sea, like they disappeared. Or the, or the, the defensive end kick out and just put them in the blue tent or whatever. You know, just great kick out, great double, great trap. I mean, our, our, our giant tackles chasing down cornerbacks 20 yards downfield. I mean, to me, that, that's what gets me jacked. I mean, those details, I, I, I think, are the key. Okay. No, the perfect coach. Like I said, and I, it's always here. Now, I'll, I'll, before I get to more of stuff that's in your book, I mean, you've mentioned Coach Markham several times. Um, and obviously, he had a tremendous amount of success as a coach, and you've you had a relationship with him. And I know other coaches that have run this offense and have talked to him at various points over the years. Obviously, a while ago before he passed. Um, kind of, what do you think? I mean, especially on California football. I mean, what do you think his influence has been? Obviously, he designed a, a very in prolific offense. Um, that you and you detail some of that in your book as well. Um, kind of what and you mentioned a little bit of stuff you've learned from him. What are kind of some lessons you took from him a little bit more in detail and kind of his legacy on it? Well, I don't know. I first of all, he's a great human. I mean, I remember he's famous for like he would even feed his kids, he would go to poor high schools and his wife, uh, and he would make sandwiches and they, he would bring sandwiches to the weight room and feed them. Uh, he would have them over his, his house. And I mean, he, he was just, he was just so generous as a, as a coach, a father figure. And then he basically fathered any young coach who wanted to get better. 
and he never refused my phone calls or my emails or when we visited him. I mean, I treasure just the scribbles that I have on 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 his yellow pad. Um, he he didn't hide anything. Um, I remember I did a last clinic I did uh, in Southern Cal uh, that was called Wings and Things, and he was there, and he was in the back. <laughs> Great story. He was in the back with some other like legends, and uh, he he sat in on one of my talks. I thought, oh, that's cool. I had him asleep in five minutes. <laughs> he was snoring, but he was older. That I forgive him. Anyways, he was asking me for one of my DVDs on drills. He goes, you know, I never drill. I go, really? I said, yeah, of course. You can have anything you want. I, I'll give you everything I've, I've ever made. And so he, he was actually asking to buy it. I said, no, man, I owe you my life. And so anyway, uh, that aspect is is cool and then he didn't need much you know when he when he set this when he set the california after we set the record for 10 game season he smashed it with like 64 points a game in in a total season he went 14 and 0 and they won the section title the crazy thing about it is he did it with 18 kids literally 18 kids on his whole team and 10 of them went both ways and one of them didn't one of them, I think the quarterback didn't go both ways. And off that team, he had three division one signings. I mean, I, that's just unheard of. That's, that's like a movie. Um, but anyways, he, he, yeah, I forget the question. I got lost. <laughs> you, you, you pretty much answered it coach and kind of where he his legacy. And now like, I won't get back to your book real quick. Cause um, I, I will, I will give you massive amounts of credit. I see why it took two years. Your book is extremely detailed on like the basic, just the, your version of the offense and the basics and what you learned and kind of installed. Obviously, um, the book goes into the four basic plays, toss, power, whatever, whatever people want to call it. Like, and as the book says, it's toss, but like I said, we've talked already, like we've heard different names for it. The sweep, um, trap, crisscross, um, and then your book kind of gets even more in depth into some of the other stuff. Um, some dive sneak. Um, I did really enjoy as I started rereading it, um, running the sneak, essentially just the center and quarterback moving um, on the cadence. Um, and then it kind of goes from there, your play action series. Um, why, what, what really fascinates me, yes, there's formation stuff and all that is, and the stuff I really love is how people practice it. Because I think that's kind of, it's back to your point about the details people miss is is the actual practice part is the finer details and you talk a little bit about practice schemes and drills in here um first I, I want to talk about can you kind of just give a broad oversight of your opinion on how people should practice it obviously it's more detailed in the book and people can check it out there but kind of the first of one of several questions as we go through this is how do you think people should practice it? And because obviously the always the question is when I sit in on people talk about this is, is people ask how much time they allot to each thing. Kind of yeah. what is your view on practicing the double wing offense? Great point. Um, I got to hear Bill Walsh one time at a clinic um, in the Bay Area. And uh, he says back then, I don't know what year it was, but he says, you know, we don't do a lot of screens. He says, we, we allot time over the entire season for each play. And I thought, wow, that's, that's crazy. 
And he says, so I know exactly how much time on task I have to get my offense in. And I don't have room. I don't have the time slot to run a screen well. So we don't. I thought, man, that's, that's knowing your stuff, you know? And so we, if he can do that with a 49ers, you know, offense, then we can do it with five plays. And so we a lot. Obviously, we're going to run our, our five basic plays, but you know, we we worked on our weekend, we worked on our weakness a whole heck of a lot. We threw the ball a lot just to perfect it because we knew that wasn't our forte. But you know, I forget Lou Holt said any any fool can throw a four-yard pass for a 40-yard gain if you set it up with play action. <laughs> you know, you can throw a hand grenade and get it close, right? Yeah. And so um that's what we do. I mean, our 90 well more than that 95 98 percent of our passing was play action and whether they knew it was a fake or not we just that's how we would run it so you know you'd fake that we have a toss pass looks just like toss we have a sweep pass you know the old wing t buck buck yeah. sweep come out yeah. and throw it we we uh i mean we inserted our offense in five days they know it the rest of its reputation a repetition and then we would work techniques. Well, what's technique? Well, you know, coaches would have guys dive in the gaps, you know, the little submariners. They, they either dive at our crotch or they dive at our pullers or they'd wrong arm our kick out or stuff like that. That's the cool part is if you only have a few plays, you can work individual techniques versus strategies like that. You know, a soft end, a hard nine end, um, guys laying in the, in the pulling lanes, hop, we practice hopping over. Anyways, uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but um, that's gave us the, not having a lot of plays gave us freedom to a lot, a lot of time to different stuff, including technique within it and our passing game. So, so I mean, as I was saying, you mentioned submariners there, um, and to your point, yes, you, you, I mean, you have to spend a lot of time in practice in this offense practicing against that. Like I just, especially, I mean, I. I from my experience, you get two te- two types of teams will do it. One, the really bad teams will do it just to try to offset you because they know physically they can't block you. Like just they're you you have the physical opposing will. And then the the other group is the group that just thinks strategy wise that they're just going to make piles and then have their linebackers just okay. It's a two yard game um, yeah. as things bounce. How do you in in how do you believe in attacking? Because I've had a couple of coaches diff- mention it different ways on how they deal with it. How do you focus on attacking those submariners and and or practicing that? Well, let's start with the onside. Onside's always blocking down. One of the things I never ask my guys to do is go head up, take the guy in front of you, and move him left or right. It's always a down block or a trap or a double team. So we hardly ever, ever, ever ask a guy to move a guy one-on-one and situate. Now we'll we'll bear crawl in front of them and chop them, but not have to move them out. So the first one is the the uh, the nose divers uh, either jumping through the crotch or jumping through the gap, and so you have to practice that. So we practice diving our shoulder. Let's say it's a it's a right guard and he's got a a diver in the a gap between the center and he. He's got to come down with his near shoulder and pin that sucker before he even penetrates the line of scrimmage. 
And if you don't practice that, a kid's not going to know that technique. But if you do it over and over each week as part of your routine, you're going to pen block that guy and you're going to stuff him in the dirt and just bury him. He becomes a non-threat. You don't have to, we always are, are saying to that is don't double team a dead man. If the guy's already falling down, just yeah. bury him. So that's that's number one, the, the onside. If he's going through my crotch, then we call it a hockey puck. Like a hockey goes down with both knees. We're going to go both knees on the top of your head, and we're not going to let you penetrate through the crotch. Now, the pullers have got to practice with, with stuff in the lane. You're going to have to run over and hop those guys, whether it's one, two, three, or four, and you're going to have to maintain speed if you have to go down in a three-point stance or a bear crawl to get over them because we need you blocking on the other side. We, we need you to pull and seal or pull and kick out. And if you're just stumbling around because you're not used to a guy in the alley, well, then you're screwed and they won. So we do that often. Just they get better and better and better at the clutter in the gutter. So that's how we do it. Okay. Now, I mean, as we start heading towards, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Like, because you meant, because your book, obviously the primary way to run the toss is pull your garden, backside garden tackle. Um what are your thoughts on because I because I've seen some teams who and it might be a call or it might be their base where they leave the tackle and pull the guard and the tight end as an adjustment. What are your thoughts on that? Um, on maybe and then some of that's in the gun, some of that's under center, but I've seen both because some teams have a really athletic tight end that they he's able to move. Um, what are your thoughts on that adjustment or that person pulling? I mean, that's new to me. I never considered, we did, we used to do it. We had some aggressive tight ends that wanted to pull and they just did it on their own. It's like, screw it. I'm going to go hit somebody. So if he's uncovered and he can, he, he can get down there. I, I, I never argue with a guy that wants to hit somebody. Um, one thing I don't like is not pulling the tackle. People find that's their first excuse is like, can, can we leave the tackle home? Hey, let the fat guy have some fun. Don't leave him <laughs> back there. It's not that far. We train pulling with a hula hoop, yeah. literally a hula hoop. And so if you figure, okay, onside, right? No gap, we're shoe to shoe, right? And I've already measured it because uh, I fought the rule on, you know, the cut block, yeah. like you can't cut block within, you know, that's measured in feet. And so if you measure from the, the ball, the ball out to the outside shoe of our tight end, we're within that measurement. And I showed the ref that, but he didn't buy it. <laughs> anyway, um, back to this. Um, it's only a short run from that tackle backside up because that onside is crushing. And so that turn up is only a few feet. Literally, it's like a hula hoop. So number one, let the fat guy have fun. Bring the bring the guard, bring the tackle. Now, if you want to tight end, if you're if they've got a defense and you want to you want to finagle it so the tight end can pull, that's great. The, the, what I'll say about that though is time on task. Does that garden tackle spend all week, all two days, all spring pulling? And that tight end works on other things. He's not going to be as technically sound as that tackle. I mean, I may be a fanatic in that, but that that's why I, I would keep it the, the same. No, you're fine, coach. I just want to kind of see your opinion because, like I said, I've seen it. It's usually more out of the gun stuff, but I've seen some other center teams try it. And like I said, as I'm rereading your book, it's one of the things that came to my mind as we produce now the other thing I, you mentioned in there and that uh, kind of will wrap up with is your book mentions pancake awards in which I it, it, it made me smile because it made me think of because 
I'm, a, I'm an alumni of Ohio University. I did not play there, but I, I'm friends with members of the staff. And their offensive line room has a trophy that is – it's a trophy of pancakes. It's called the Pancake Award. It's for it's an offensive line trophy. Yep. It, there, it, you there you uh, go. So <laughs> Woody Hayes. My, so my question with that is, I mean, you mentioned Pancake Awards on there. How did you – and but you, like, briefly mentioned it. Like, you didn't go into massive detail. What did you all do for the Pancake Awards? Because you didn't – like I said, you didn't go super detail, but you mentioned that there was an award. And you – you obviously, part of this offense is you want to be the be the bully, essentially, and you want to put people on their butts. I mean, there's no sugarcoat that. Like, you want to be the physically dominant team. So, kind of how do you – did you believe in recognizing that when you guys ran it? I got it from, well, essentially I got the idea of rewarding what we want from Bill McCartney, the old Colorado uh, university coach, the national champ coach. Um, he says, he said this quote, you get what you emphasize. So if your kids aren't in attack mode, if they're not aggressive, you're not rewarding it. You're not teaching it. You're not rewarding it. So if kids see kids getting rewarded for what you want, they'll do it. I, I say in my book, a kid will kill for a t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, he, he will do what you want him to do and what you reward. So again, I'm a dinosaur. We, you know, the, this targeting and blue tent and you can't, I mean, you can't, oh gosh, you can't uh, peel back, peel back block anymore. Like, yeah. those are my favorites. We hit a guy when he's not looking. That's my favorite. I hit. Anyway, so I understand injuries and safety and all this, but come on. Football was designed to be a violent collision sport. It's not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And so they took, you know, they took the, uh, the, wedge, the wedge away. They took the wedge crashers away. I mean, it's slowly demeaning football. I mean, you watch NFL, which is hard to stomach at times. It's like a billion dollar seven on seven. You know, so yeah, we have the pancake award and, uh, and that we, you can go overboard. Like we had kids on the kickoff, knocking somebody down and immediately looked at the press box and pointed at the camera, like, make sure you got that. So I get my t-shirt. But if, if you have the, if you emphasize that and you reward that you're going to get that. And we felt like that was necessary. Like, you know, you take a bunch of skinny neck kids who have never won, who don't have a vision of winning and go 0 and 10, you know, with, because we didn't have seniors and you want to turn them into 10 and 0 killers. Well, you got to reward, you got to emphasize what you want. And that's what we wanted. Now, I, there's one other, one other question I want to ask you before we start wrapping up. And because you're, as, as I'm, I'm re-skimming through the book as I'm listening to you and explain the Pancake Award. And, and one of the things you mentioned in here, and we, we ran a little bit of it, um, when I was at Marion Elgin is, is one of the offshoots to it is running out of the ice stack. Um, oh, yeah. can you talk briefly and your book goes a little bit more in detail, uh, about the kind of pros and cons. Uh, I think obviously the great thing about the true double wing is it's balanced. It's fully balanced. That's one of the mass benefits of it. And, and your book talks about that at the very beginning, but kind of like, I mean, one of the adjustments you can make. And it's a very simple adjustment is run out of the ice stack. Do you want to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of kind of running out of the ice stack? Yeah. And, and I just want to put a plug in for that. This can be run out of I, it could be run out of a, a stack. I, uh, it could become out of, run out of I twins. Uh, I mean, you can do a lot 
and it really doesn't change the fragrance of the offense. It's basically the same blocking schemes for the most part. So with that said, we landed one time, Markham's got colleagues back in the day who ran this, and, I, and I'm, I'm failing to bring up the name in my head, but this was kind of famous in, in fact, it's in the California record books. Uh, it was famous in Southern Cal. It just ate up everybody. They had, they had three really good backs and a monster fullback. And they, they, they ran it really, really well. It's like, it's like running a kickoff return every time you pitch it. And, <laughs> and the tailback's literally 12 yards deep. So number one, he better be talented and fast because he's got to make up 12 yards to the line of scrimmage. And you got two fullbacks in front of him. And so we just landed one year. We didn't have a very good quarterback. We had great tailbacks and we had a monster load of fullbacks. And we said, let, we don't have two wings. Let's just run one. And so we ran stack eye with a kid. He, he was, he, he was in a boys home up here. He got in trouble in the Bay area. They sent him up here and the sucker ran a four, four in, in saggy jeans and tennis shoes with a blow pop in his mouth. <laughs> and so we pitched him the ball every freaking time left and right. We had two snot blower fullbacks in front of them. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, awesome you can you can kick out that defensive end and send both fullbacks or you can kick it kick out with one and send one up the hole with the other and uh it's just a whole lot of bodies in the way all right and then like my last question i want to ask you before uh, we do our wrap up here is kind of i mean do you have any closing thoughts um for anybody looking to run um the toss obviously checking out your book would be one of them but i mean do you have any thoughts on the offense or things you might want to tell somebody who's looking to run it? Um, like I said, it's, it's it, there is some decent prevalence of popularity here in the Midwest, especially like in Michigan um, and, and certain rural parts of Ohio. Uh, do you have any suggestions there? Well, I, I sent you that article. I, I have an, I published an article called 2020 hindsight, five lessons learned from running the double wing offense. And so after, you know, being a part of a team who ran it, from 0 and 10 to 10 and 0 and set records and had, a, you know, a plethora of different types of kids uh, and sizes and speeds and, and, you know, personality makeups. If I had to run it again, I would run it again. If I was hired tomorrow and wanted it, I don't anymore, but if I wanted it, uh, if I wanted to coach again, uh, there's no doubt I would find a school where I could run this. I just, it's just so much fun. I did the same thing as a defensive coordinator. I'd rather put a 16 year old in panic and, and sack him like every time and put a pressure defense on. That's how I'd run defense on special teams. I would take chances and do all kinds of crazy things. I, I just want to be offensive in whatever I do in my defense, special teams and offense. So this RPO stuff, you can have it in the bag. I, I just, I just love power football and, uh, this has results and it's physical. We would live in the weight room. We would, we would reward contact and we would go after people. And uh, I just absolutely am in love with it. And I think there's a joy here. Um, you can find this uh, on my uh, website, you know, www.doublewing.org um, and a lot of other DVDs and, and books and magazines and playbooks. And then again, double wing football, um, is my Instagram or um, Smash Mouth alumni is my Facebook group. A lot of information on that printed a DVD um, 
whatever, or consult me. And if you need this article, um, email me or write me or get on my stuff and I'll send it to you email in 30 seconds. But yep. that, that article, you know, you're asking for my thoughts. I, I couldn't do it justice. That article tells five reasons in depth, like five pages of why I did it and why I would do it again in a heartbeat. Well, coaches, obviously, if you, if you want to take a look, um, his book, as it says, doublewing.org, um, I have a hardback copy, which is really hard to find at this point, as, as coaches mentioned, uh, but you can get paperback copies. Um, he was able to kind of re-release it uh, recently. Um, I, I believe, I believe it's, it's, on, it's on Amazon. Through Amazon as well. Um, as well. Uh, but please check it out. I mean, even if you don't run the offense, um, there is so much detail in this book. And I'm not not, not saying that just because he's sitting here. I mean, I've read this book once before. I know every every double wing guy I've ever talked to uh, lives by this book um, and, it, and reads it. But it goes down to practice, drills, um, obviously the basics of the offense and how they block it, small adjustments so forth. Like I didn't just ask him on here just to promote his book. Like I generally wanted to ask him questions and it is, there is some really good stuff in here. Um, like share, subscribe, obviously. Uh, so you're able, people are able to find this. Um, and then otherwise that's another episode of the uh, gap down backer podcast.